Welcome into SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is away on a well-deserved Christmas break. If you're planning to enjoy time with family and friends over the last week of 2023, and that you have some opportunity to rest, to have meaningful conversations with family and friends, and spend some time with the Lord. We're certainly grateful for His kindness and faithfulness to us in 2023, and we are thankful that you have listened along with us. In this episode, we're going to take a quick look back at some of the key stories in 2023 and hear from SBC President Bart Barber with an update on ongoing projects in the SBC. Before we get to all that, though, we want to take a quick break and hear from our presenting sponsor, Subsplash. If you're a pastor who wants to engage with your congregation and build connections beyond weekend services, Subsplash can help. Subsplash allows your community to access messages, resources, and even give from one place, helping congregations connect in ways you never could have before. Learn more at subsplash.com forward slash SBC. When you use that link, you'll get a special discount, but you have to use the link. Again, it's subsplash.com forward slash SBC. At Baptist Press, we've had the great privilege of publishing year-in-review stories this week from most of the SBC entities and seminaries, and you'll also find three compilations of what we believe are the top stories in 2023. The first list is called the Most Read Stories of 2023. That's based on the traffic at baptistpress.com. In that compilation, you'll find links to a story on the passing of Charles Stanley and church planter Clint Clifton. You'll also find a link to a story about a graduation speech in Humble, Texas. It went viral back in May when valedictorian Campbell Lino clearly shared the gospel with her classmates and all those gathered for the commencement. You'll find a link to a first person by Trevin Wax, where he outlined seven considerations for Southern Baptist in the days ahead. Those are the stories that you chose as the top, and you'll find that in a, in a compilation entitled Most Read Stories in 2023. Then we have our staff favorites for 2023. Laura and I talked with Diana Chandler, Scott Barkley, and Tim Cox about their favorite stories from this past year. Topping the list was a story on 246 salvations that happened at a car show in Detroit. How a rural Tennessee town of 414 souls is preparing to welcome and share the hope of Christ with the more than 90,000 new residents expected to move there as Ford locates a battery manufacturing hub to the area. And a story of how the nation stopped to pray as Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin collapsed during a Monday night football game back in January. We also shared a story on how churches continue to help Vietnam War veterans 50 years after the completion of the war. You can find those stories in our Baptist Press Favorites of 2023. Finally, our Baptist Press Top 10 Stories of 2023. In that, we took a look at what we believe are the most significant stories in the SBC. Well, we actually shifted a bit. We struggled to find 10 top stories, and so what we did was we found 10 categories and listed stories under them. We looked at stories about how God brought people from death to life, how he moved on college campuses this year, how Southern Baptists have responded to natural disasters and wars across the world. We also included stories about action taken at the 2023 SBC annual meeting, including the change to the Baptist faith and message and action taken by messengers related to Saddleback Church and two other churches. 
which leads us to our guest in this program. As I mentioned earlier, our guest for SBC this week is none other than SBC President Bart Barber. In just a second, we'll hear from him as he reflects on this past year and looks ahead to 2024. Well, Dr. Barber, thank you so much for joining us for SBC this week. Uh, it's always a pleasure to contribute, and uh, I listen every week, but well, I get to be on every once in a while. Well, we sure appreciate that. Um, you know, uh, the messenger, Southern Baptist, will remember when we were in New Orleans this summer, um, we, we kind of journeyed with you, um, you know, from, from a distance to some degree, but journeyed with you in the final days of your mother's life. And, and here, here we come into the Christmas season. Um, certainly it will be a different Christmas for, for your family this year. Tell us a bit about that. Well, it's certainly, certainly the case. Um, I lost my dad in 1997. So, uh, with mom gone, uh, there's a whole part of the, of the family tree, uh, above us that's empty now. And, uh, so, you know, uh, my siblings and I, we've had a, had a pattern for several years of, uh, giving one side of the family Thanksgiving and the other side of the family Christmas day. And it was Thanksgiving for my family this year. We were all able to gather for that. It was really good. And we were able to to talk about mom and go through some of her things and have some good memories uh, of all of that. And it's just so many reasons there to be thankful. And so for Christmas this year, uh, actually it's the in-laws. And, um, and so there's something uh, there's, there's just really something missing there uh, as far as not really having anywhere for, for even a brief gathering for my side of the family. And a lot of your listeners are going to know all about this because they've they've lived through it too, and mm-hmm. and these things change, and you just have to develop new traditions. And uh, the the great thing is that uh, what Jesus did in coming, the very thing that we're celebrating at Christmas, is the thing that makes all this new and makes all of it good uh, in the end. Uh, because I know that that uh, the experience I'm having this year. Uh, my mom had, I remember when my grandmother passed away and both of her parents were gone. Hmm. And uh, so this is uh, for me, the first year without her and for her, the first year back with them. Hmm. And uh, so it gives me joy to think Hmm. about the reunion in heaven of my mom with a uh, family full of of believers who were a great influence on me growing up and and uh and I know that it won't be too long uh before I'll join them and there'll be no uh, no goodbyes there. Yeah, that's good. Such great hope there to be found in the gospel. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's let's look back for just a moment on this year um as you have uh, led in your presidency role with the SBC. What are some high, high points that stick out to you in 2023? Well, you know, the high point of every year, if you're a good Southern Baptist, is the annual meeting. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I certainly feel that way, uh, whether I have a role in it or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Our family has been attending the annual meeting uh, almost every year mm-hmm. uh, throughout this millennium. And um, I mean, my my kids even. I have a, a really good track record of attending the SBC annual meeting. And our meeting in New Orleans, I thought, was was very productive and, and good. We were able to face 
uh, some important questions and to give answers about those. Uh, we broke ground with some new things that we did. And even though some of the questions we faced were hard, uh, we approached all of them with a far greater spirit of unity than you would know by listening to the loudest voices uh, during the year intervening. Uh, Southern Baptists are, uh, generally speaking, uh, in far, far better shape than, uh, than a lot of people give us credit for. And I think that shows up uh, every year in our annual meeting. Uh, and since then, I'd say the half of the year that's come uh, since the annual meeting, um, you know, we've, uh, we've been in a position where uh, the SBC Executive Committee um, lost a leader at the at the top of the ec and that leader was an interim and now we have another interim and um there's been some some staff reduction and and um all of that's very hard uh and and painful and sad uh the one good thing that came out of it was uh, that some of us uh decided to try to step up and during that state convention season, where normally a lot of people from the executive committee would be going to visit state conventions, uh, I and some others said, we'll take on some of those trips and try mm -hmm. to help keep those connections going. And so uh, I got to go to more state convention meetings than I ever have in my life uh, and met good people uh, everywhere from uh, my own meeting here in Texas uh and uh west virginia and hawaii and uh and they're just why pacific it's more than just hawaii that's right and uh and they're just they're just good people all over the southern baptist convention it's a great blessing uh to to be a part of this family of faith um and and most of the rest of it has just been work mm -hmm. uh and uh and, and work trying to get ready for that annual meeting next year yeah. So speaking of the annual meeting next year and the first person that that released out earlier um, here at Baptist Press, uh, you alluded to the sounds like a pretty good possibility of an evening session um, in in Indianapolis, which is not unprecedented. Maybe it's rare, but it's not unprecedented. Well, over the full history of the SBC, it's not even rare. Yeah, uh, that's a good that point. We Recently had a, rare. We've had a recent trend. Yeah. Of uh, of reducing the number of uh, sessions that we have in the annual meeting, and you know we also had about the same time that we were reducing the number of sessions, we had a an ongoing pretty steady reduction in the number of people who were mm. attending as messengers the mm. SBC annual meeting. I I recall a meeting that we had in Houston, so that's a that's a, a city well uh, within the, the reach area of Southern Baptist. It's not like we were going a long way away. And uh, the attendance at that annual meeting in terms of registered messengers was far below 10,000. Uh, it was closer to five. And um, and so, you know, back then, everybody was Everybody's great worry for the survival of the SBC is, oh, it's a post-denominational age. We're never going to be able to get young whippersnappers to come to these meetings uh, and look at it now. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody's saying that today. Our mm -hmm. annual meetings are very well attended. And just because of that, because of the fact that the meetings are well attended and we're doing a lot right now, uh, we need more time 
to be able to do those things. And so a lot of people have said that over the past few years. I don't take that, Brandon, as any criticism of Mm -hmm. previous schedules for the annual meeting. I think it's just a recognition of the trends that we have ongoing right now. And those trends are for more active participation in the annual meeting by more people. Yeah, which which folks ought to find more encouraging. I would think so. I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about a couple of those things that uh, folks want to dialogue on. Uh, one of them being, uh, both of these are actually motions made from messengers that that you were then charged with taking action and you took it. And these are groups that have been meeting. And so the first one is the cooperation group. Maybe give folks an update from what uh, you, you're hearing, what you've been participating in with that group. Well, sure. Well, uh, so there's what I hear outside of those meetings, and then there's mm-hmm. what I hear in those meetings. Right. And what I hear outside those meetings uh, is uh, everybody's kind of fixated on this constitutional amendment that has passed one year and is going to pass uh, uh, or fail one way or the other this year, uh, be the final vote on it this year in Indianapolis. And um, it seems like outside of the room, the vast preponderance of conversations that I hear about the cooperation group are about that amendment. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, um, if if they wanted to, if I wanted to, if anybody wanted to, nobody, nobody can wrest that amendment out of the hands of the messengers at the SBC annual meeting. That decision will be made there and not anywhere else. Um, and um, so the cooperation group's job is to try to take a look at a more fundamental question. Uh, And it's a question that really, uh, sometimes in my experience, uh, people on all sides of current questions at the SBC, um, I think don't give the amount of attention that it deserves. And that is um, the, the question of what exactly does it mean to be in friendly cooperation? Um, I think there's definitely a doctrinal component to that. I don't, I don't know how you could be in friendly cooperation through the Southern Baptist Convention while affirming the supreme authority of the pontiff in Rome, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a Baptist convention, mm-hmm. and um, and so some part of what it means to be in friendly cooperation uh, is going to be doctrinal and ideological. Um, the question is. Uh, do we do we want to pin that down? How, how much do we want to pin that down? Um, the history of our convention for a very, very long time was uh, that that if you pinned it down in the documents, what you're really doing was removing liberty from the messenger body. Uh, because for a long time in the history of our convention, um, the the messengers, could decide any given year what they wanted the parameters to be for friendly cooperation. Uh, the way it was adjudicated was you bring a church and say, we don't want to seat their messengers, and the messengers would decide one way or the other mm-hmm. by voting, and they could make any decision they wanted to. Um, in, in recent years, there's been more of a desire to put shackles on the messenger body and say, um, well, actually, you have to vote this way for this circumstance or that circumstance. And um, and yet not really, uh, because uh, we've added a list of things in Article three, uh, but even our bylaw eight process uh, for looking at those things uh, ends up with an appeal and the messengers get to vote. Hmm. And so um, 
you know, there's a there's a uh, kind of a mixed system that we have going on right now where we come to the messengers and say, uh, well, you are required to exclude churches that are in such and such circumstance uh, unless you decide you don't want to uh, in the appeal at the end. And so uh, so anyway, there's a doctrinal component to that. There's also a component of that that has to do with just being engaged in the life of the convention. Uh, another Another question that's not doctrinal, everybody's talking about the faith and practice stuff right now, but, uh, you know, we excluded some churches last year that uh, that we said were not in friendly cooperation, that when they were interviewed by the press about it, they said, we didn't even know we were Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. We don't consider ourselves to be Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we're talking about, too, in the cooperation group. When you have, when you have churches that are completely and totally disengaged from the SBC, uh, does that count as friendly cooperation or doesn't it? How uh, how ought we to make some effort to know whether churches consider themselves Southern Baptists, participate in any way in the Southern Baptist Convention or not? Hmm. And um, so so really, uh, this this question of what friendly cooperation means um, it it's it's fundamental. It's it's not a specific issue or specific. Um, um, phenomenon or a specific congregation or a specific person. Uh, instead, it's just this this uh, this underlying question of who are we as a convention? Why are we here? What does it mean to be a part of us? And um, and you know, I think that that's um, more pertinent uh, to next year in Dallas and the hundredth anniversary of the cooperative program and the Baptist faith and message than it is to last year in new Orleans and an amendment that was proposed. So, um, so I hope that we'll be able to reiterate and reunite around a common shared vision of what it means to be a part of the Southern Baptist convention. Okay. Another group that, that is meeting is the one led by Jay Atkins. And that's the group looking at the, uh, 10 or so years of the Great Commission resurgence and the, the track history there. Um, what, 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 what's an update from, from that group? Well, they are uh, at work putting together a, um, um, a research project. Really, a, a lot of what this comes down to, that if, if the cooperation group is very philosophical, uh, the GCR group is uh, very practical and research-oriented, evaluating results, going back into the history and looking at exactly what we did back in 2009, 2010, and um, evaluating um, what what we thought that would do and evaluating what it's actually done. Um, and I think they're going to do an excellent job. Uh, at this, they are they're preparing to interview people. They've been looking at documentation up to this mm-hmm. point. They're preparing to interview people, and uh, this would be people who were involved in the creation of the Great Commission resurgence recommendations, and also interviewing people who have had the task of implementing uh, the GCR uh, implementation. And you know, they're also going to interview some people who've been critics of the GCR down through the way. Um, I, I was talking to somebody not long ago who, uh, had done a different kind of research. Uh, they had found my comments back in the day that were negatively disposed for the Great Commission Resurgence recommendations. Um, and, you know, I was a blogger 
and um, and I and I Bart had opinions, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I gave mine, and um, and so anyway, this person was asking me about uh, my uh, about my opinions against it, and I said, well, I tell you, I'm a committed Congregationalist, I have been all my life, uh, not just with the way that we conduct polity at the SBC annual meeting, but even in my own local church, mm-hmm. and what that means is that I've got I've got 40 years of experience of losing votes uh, <laughs> at, uh, at, at my own local church and in all sorts of other places. If you if you think First Baptist Farmersville is some kind of a dictatorship where I always get whatever I want, uh, you'll find out different. Yeah, I just uh, need to come to a business here. meeting, huh? <laughs> That's exactly right. Now, our business meetings are good and productive and friendly and whatever else, but we do talk about issues and sometimes we sure. have differences in point of view. Um, and I'll give you an example uh, the the people group that we've been engaging and planted churches in in Senegal, uh, I wanted to go to a different people group when mm-hmm. we were researching that and putting that together. I'd found a group in Uganda that mm-hmm. I wanted us to go to. And we wound up instead in Senegal, and I lost that vote. And that's one of, of many down through the years. And I tell you, in the aftermath of that, one of three things happens. Either I get the opportunity, maybe not to say to anybody else, because I wouldn't have been here 24, 25 years if I'd done that, but maybe to say to myself, I told you so, uh, that I can see that, that the church took a vote that I didn't think was right at that time, and then I was vindicated somewhere along the way. Uh, that happens a small percentage of the time. Uh, and then the other thing that can happen is that I can look and say, man, I'm glad they didn't listen to me. Mm. Uh, and then and then the third category is sometimes it's just mixed. Sometimes you look and you say, some of the things I thought were going to be problems with this did turn out to be problems with this. And some of the things that I didn't think were going to be good about this at all turned out to be great and accomplished very good things. Mm. I have no idea. I haven't asked the group. They haven't told me even where they're leaning on the Great Commission resurgence. And I'm a Baptist and I don't go to Vegas and put money on the ponies. But uh, if I had to guess, I would say that I think it's likely going to be that third category. I think we're going to look and see that someone like me who was opposed to the GCR recommendations at the time can look and see, you know what, it turned out to be better than I thought it was. Uh, Some really good things were accomplished as a part of this. But we'll also have an opportunity to look and see. Uh, but there have been some things that uh, the word of caution was was correct. And there were things that we would like to have seen go better. Mm, that's good. It's helpful. Um, finally, one of the a major responsibility, I, I think, of any SBC president um, is the nominations process, filling out the committees and things like that. Um, you you we had a Baptist press story. So this is something that, that you've brought to the front burner over the last at least two months, if not a little bit longer than that. Um, and then reiterated it in this first person that we alluded to, um, just a little bit ago. Talk about that, about the, the nominations process and where we are right now. Yeah, Uh, sure. Where, Uh, where where you are right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I have, uh, I've picked one person to serve on a committee, uh, if you want to put it in terms of that, uh, I have selected. I will. I will announce when the time comes. But I have selected the chair of the committee on resolutions. Uh, <laughs> beyond that, I had done a thing. Uh, except I'm gathering information. I guess I'm in my own research phase. Okay. Uh, here, and part of what I'm trying to do, uh, just a couple of things that I've changed, even from my first term as president. Uh, one, I've tried to involve people more 
and submitting uh, uh, names of maybe even of people that I don't know and doing it early enough that I can get to know who some of these folks are. Um, I was able uh, last year to to look through the database of people who uh, attend the annual meeting and in some places where I didn't have good connections and didn't know whom to appoint in some of our states. Uh, one thing I could do is look and see who comes to our annual meeting regularly mm-hmm. and then use that as a starting place to try to find out more about uh, people's relationship with Southern Baptists and their passion for the mission and, and all that sort of thing, their relationship with the Lord. And so I'm starting this time by sort of crowdsourcing and inviting people to make recommendations. Every time it gets mentioned in the press, I get a few more. After that first person went out, I got 16 new uh, recommendations from people, and I'm up uh, well over 200 uh, of recommendations that people have made for folks to serve. And then after people are recommended, I'm asking them to fill out a second form to apply. And um, one of the things that I saw happen last year was that I would get to the point that I had assembled my names of people and I would turn them in only to find out at the last minute that they didn't meet some bylaw requirement. And uh, some of those things were things that I knew about, but I had just failed to gather accurate information about like how long an appointee to the committee on committees had lived in that state. There's a, there's a bylaw requirement has to do with that or whether they had a spouse who serves on a board somewhere mm. by law requirement about that. Uh, but then also even just whether the church they're serving at is a fully constituted church or if it's a mission church. And, and so there are a lot of things uh, that were, that I did not get early enough screening on those questions. And so the application and then in that category, along with it, also people who I would ask after I'd thought about it for a long time and said, I'm going to go with this one, I'd ask them and they'd say, I don't really want to serve. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of that cost time late in the process where I didn't need it to cost time. And so uh, by doing this uh, process of having people make recommendations and doing it early and then doing the application, I get direct information from these applicants, A, that they're willing to serve. B, that uh, that they can tell me how long they've lived where they have and, and whether they have a spouse who serves on anything and we'll, we'll validate all that information on the back end. But, uh, but at least I'm getting an initial indication of answers to all of that. Mm-hmm. Seems to be working out pretty well. Just accept that there are some holes. Uh, there are some states where it's harder than it is in other states to, to get people to serve. And um, that's kind of reflected in the distribution of responses that I've received up to this point. The last thing I would say about the appointments is our constitution actually requires that for the committee on committees. um, I do the appointing work that I'm doing in consultation with the vice presidents. And it requires that for the tellers and the resolutions committee that I, that I do this in consultation with the registration secretary. And um, different presidents have interpreted the idea of consultation different ways. And what I've decided to do this year is something I did not do last year, but I, I felt like I needed to put more teeth into that because it's a constitutional requirement. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as I get down to this list of applicants, uh, I'm, I'm giving the officers of the SBC, whichever ones apply to the different committees, uh, an opportunity to go through and see the whole list 
and offer their their picks, their consultation, if you will, on each mm-hmm. one of the potential nominees and say, I know this person and I'm, I have a very favorable opinion of them, or I don't really know this person or know much about them. So um, so that's um, that's a process that's unfolding. We'll see how it works. I think it's going to turn out to be uh, a much smoother and uh, a much better ordered process than what I did in year one. I really get the feeling that I'm going to have this all figured out right about the time I leave. Mm. (laughs) Well, maybe you can write a handbook. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes. That's all. All of it's helpful information. I think it's helpful for folks to hear how much work you, you mentioned that earlier, that it's just work, how much work it actually happens from June to June behind the scenes and preparing for that meeting to come together and run smoothly and then move forward for the next year. Well, I'm very thankful for you, Brandon, and for Laura, mm-hmm. and, and for all the people in the SBC Executive Committee building who work for the EC, because uh, make no mistake about it, the lion's share of that work is done by people who work in that building in Nashville. And so uh, they, you guys are holding my hand and helping me along the way uh, from the moment that gavel drops until we gavel in the next session and all the way through the meeting. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to Southern Baptists everywhere and all of these faithful servants who work there in uh, Nashville. Well, we're very grateful to Dr. Barber for spending a little while with us here on SBC this week. We hope that was helpful for you as you get caught up with the work that's going on um, in some of those subgroups and, and just initiatives in general in the SBC. As we take a moment to look at our history moment for today in SBC this week, we look back to December the 19th of 1990. Freed Hostage Says Prayer Made the Difference. That's the headline. Here's the first couple of paragraphs. Southern Baptist worker Maurice Graham, just back from four months of captivity in Kuwait, says the prayers of thousands of Christians made the difference in survival. Graham, who went to Kuwait to work with the National Evangelical Church, found shelter at the U.S. Embassy in Kuwait City from the early days of the Iraqi invasion until his departure to freedom on December the 9th. His wife and two sons were allowed to leave Kuwait in September. That story resonates as we think about the hostages currently being held um, in uh, Gaza. And uh, we know that many are praying for them and they're praying for peace in the Middle East and praying for peace in Ukraine and praying for peace in our own homes and churches as we desire to honor the Lord and move forward in obedience in 2024. As always, thanks to our friends at the Southern Baptist Historical Library and Archives for this story and for the great resources that they curate. Again, we want to thank Subsplash, our presenting sponsor. They've been so good to us this year to come alongside and to help bring SBC This Week to you every week. Um, Subsplash wants to come alongside and be a help to your church. You can get some information at their website, subsplash.com forward slash SBC. If you'll go there, you'll find some special information just for SBC churches. Again, subsplash.com forward slash SBC. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of SBC This Week. We'll be off next week, but Lord willing, we'll be with you the first week of January. We certainly hope that you have a Merry Christmas and a wonderful start to the new year. 
Thanks for listening to SBC This Week.